All right. Jude. And verse 3, Jude, verse 3. <clears throat> Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Tonight we're going to look at some characteristics of apostasy. Some characteristics of apostasy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to be assembled together. Thank you for your word that we can have and read and study. And I pray as we look into the word of God tonight that we would be encouraged and challenged and uh, quickened in our Christian walk. And Lord, help us to be, war- be warned and beware and be wise concerning the, the wiles and the, and the deception of the devil in the world in which we live. And uh, just pray that you help us to be faithful and endure until the end. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, last week we looked a little bit about, you know, um, you know about the, the, the certain men crept in unawares, denying the only Lord God, of course, denying the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ, and how these men creep in unawares. Uh, they come in subtly. You know, and, and all these men are teachers, uh, people get their start somewhere. Let's just think about something. You know, you know where Joel Olstein got his start. You know what his roots are. His dad was a Baptist pastor who got mixed up with Pentecostalism and then took his church from a Baptist doctrine to mixture of things and you know some Pentecostalism mixed in there with it and and you know and, and get under signs and wonders and all this this stuff that that Pentecostalism goes with it and the charismatic movement it's more charismatic than it is Pentecostal. You know, Pentecostals are 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 legalistic and rigid, many of them in their dress and something like that. But of course charismatics are just liberal. Um, but anyway, that's where he got his start. And, of course, now there's a denial of the Lord Jesus Christ is what you see there taking place. And so as we think about those, Jude here gives us examples of how this comes about, uh, how this apostasy takes place. And he gives us three illustrations uh, from the Old Testament. And, and the first one, of course, is the children of Israel. And, and the example here, and, and I, I tried to describe what each may represent. But we see, first of all, a rejection of that which is spiritual or the invisible, or you might say the miraculous with the nation of Israel. Now, if you again notice in verse 5, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, 
having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. So they were saved out of Egypt. They had been delivered or rescued from Egypt. But yet, he destroyed them. Many of them he destroyed in the wilderness. That word destroy there means to put out of the way entirely, to abolish, to put to an end. It's the same word that's used to describe someone that's cast into hell or you know, ends up in hell. It's the same word. It's used to describe that. But what you see here in the children of Israel, if you, if you go to the Old Testament, which we're going to go to, go to Exodus chapter 12, I'm going to be looking at a lot of scriptures tonight because I want to illustrate or try and demonstrate to you the emphasis in the lives of the children of Israel, what you see over and over and over again in their lives, which demonstrates what's in their heart. You know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Out of, you know, man lives from his heart. Out of the heart are the issues of life, Proverbs tells us. Um, Proverbs tells us, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so the emphasis of the, in the lives of the Israelites, and I want you to think about this and ask yourself that question as we read these scriptures and examine these people. Okay, and let's start at Exodus chapter 12 and verse 35. Exodus 12 and verse 35. And it says, And children of Israel did according to the word of Moses... They borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men beside children. And a mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks and herds very much cattle. They baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt, could not tarry, neither had they prepared for themselves any victual. Now the, the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years, came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass, that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt, this is that night that the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. So, you know, I don't want to labor a lot of time here, but one of the things what you see, you know, these people were slaves in Egypt. And, and so they, the, the Egyptians know that they're leaving. Now, now I'm going to ask you a question. Does it make sense? To you, that you're losing your slaves against your will. You don't really want to lose them. Well, you want to get rid of them because they've been trouble to you yeah. by the hand of God. So you give them your silver and your gold and all your precious things and send them out with, with wealth. Is that the way you send them off? No, the Bible says in verse 36, the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they sent, lent unto them such things as they required. Anything they asked, they gave them. Chapter 13. Chapter 13. Verse 2. Sanctify me 
no, that's not. Thirteen. It's not the verses I wanted. Twenty, twenty through twenty-two, I think, is what I wanted. And they took their journey from Succoth and camped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord, and I want you to notice again, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of the fire by night from before the people. So not only did he get favor in the sight of the Egyptians and they spoiled them, but here we have this miraculous cloud that goes before them guides them wherever they go, and stays with them by day and by night. It's a light at night and a cloud by day to shelter them from the sun. You know, these are miraculous things. Okay? Chapter 14. It changes. Verse 9, but the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army overtook them in camping by the sea besides Pahararoth and before Baal-Saphon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were sore afraid and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, because there was no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. I mean, you know, they just had the Egyptians give them Anything you want. And then they have this cloud that appears, and it's a shelter by day and a light by night. It directs them where to go, when to go, and when to stop, and where to camp. And as soon as there's a test or a trial or something that appears that might happen to them, they start crying out. Chapter 14. Uh, I am in chapter 14. Let's read on. Verse 13 says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold their peace. Hold your peace. And, of course, this is what happened. And Moses, of course, Moses lifted up his rod, and, and, and they crossed. And, and, and notice in verse 18, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. The Egyptians shall know that I am Lord. The question is, will the children of Israel know? Verse 19, And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. It was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. The children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground. The waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. 
The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass in the morning watch, the Lord looked upon the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of the fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily. So the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And of course, you know, Moses stretches out his hand and the waters come back and all the Egyptians are drowned. You know, isn't it interesting that the Egyptians say, the Lord fighteth for them. Too bad when they got to Kadesh Barnea and they sent in the spies, too bad the Israelites didn't say, the Lord will fight for us. And what you have from here on many times, is every time there's a difficulty. They think they're going to die. They think God is forsaken. They think God's dead. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. They took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation, children of Israel, came unto the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the fifteenth day of the second month after departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness. And children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots. And when we eat bread to the full, for you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Chapter 17, verse 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people. Take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod, Wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand, and go. Hold, I stand before thee there upon the rock and Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Go to chapter 20, verse 18. Of course, God goes up on the mountain. God, God, God comes, down, comes down on Mount Sinai and speaks to the children of Israel. In chapter 20, after this experience, chapter 20, verse 18 through 21, it says, And all the people saw the lightnings and the thunder, the, the, I'm sorry, the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Fear not. For God has come to prove you. And that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off. And Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. Now let me ask you something. It says that they stayed afar off. And they basically said to Moses, you go near. Is that the kind of relationship that God wants with his people? Just a relationship afar off. You know, 
just afar off. You know, the emphasis, it seems, in the lives of the Israelites is they're concerned about the things of the flesh. The leeks, the garlics, the onions, the flesh pots in Egypt. You know, it, it, their thoughts in trial are always, we're going to die. We're trapped. We're, killed. we're going to be killed by the Egyptians. Or we're going to die of thirst. Or we're going to die of hunger. Or we're going to die from that fire and that thunder on Mount Sinai. So let's stay away. You know, Numbers 11, verse 5, says, We remember the fish, which we did eat freely in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. You know, they got, they were, they got tired of that which was sufficient for every day. Angel's food. The Bible calls it angel's food in Psalms. The manna. And this discontentment this, this reliance or emphasis of living in the flesh culminates in Numbers 13 and 14 with sending in the spies and they're coming back with the evil report. What the Bible refers to as an evil report. You know, it was not an evil report of what was in the land. That's not why it was evil report. I mean, they said it's a good land. It's a good land. It is a land of milk and honey, just like God said it is. However, and the problem wasn't that there was walled cities in there, and the problem wasn't that there was giants that lived in there. The problem was they didn't believe what God said. That's why the report was evil. It was a report that said God cannot or will not keep His word to us. So it was a lie about the goodness and power of God. You know, these, and again, these are characteristics of God they've already seen on many occasions. They've, God gave them favor in the sight of the Egyptians and they, and they got all these riches. They were slaves and all of a sudden they're wealthy. You know, they're encamped by the Red Sea. It seems like they're trapped in. And God puts a cloud between them and the Egyptians and divides the Red Sea by night and they go through safely and the Egyptians are all drowned. What are they seeing? They're seeing miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle happen. They're seeing the power of God demonstrated right before their very eyes and the goodness of God extended to them time after time after time. And then they turn around and say, uh, God can't do this. And God said, I will give you the land. Go in and possess it. See, the evil report was they did not believe what God said. See, it goes back to they lived for the visible. What they could see. Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. 
See, that's the realm, that's the realm that Moses lived in. Moses lived in, his, in a spiritual world. Oh, he lived in, a, in an everyday life in a spiritual world. But he, he, he lived seeing that, that, uh, God in his life and seeing things that God could do. When he, saw a, when he saw a situation, he saw a situation where God could, could glorify himself, could demonstrate his power and demonstrate his goodness to his people. That's what Moses saw. But these children of Israel, what they saw is impossibilities. Because they did not, because as the Bible says here in, in Jude, they believed not. They believed not. In Exodus, go back, maybe if you kept your place in Exodus, Exodus chapter 12 again, and uh, verses 21 to 36, Exodus 12, 21, it says, And then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is on the ba- in the basin, and none of you shall go out at the door of, your, of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through and smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door, and will not suffer the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And ye shall observe this thing for it ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. It shall come to pass when you become into the land which the Lord will give you according to as he hath promised, that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass, when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshipped. And the children of Israel went away and did as Moses commanded, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass... That at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, and the firstborn of favor that sat on his throne, and the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night, and said, Rise up, and get you forth from my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go and serve the Lord, as ye have said. Also take your flocks and your herds, as ye have said, and be gone, and bless me also." And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We be all dead men. Now, this is what the Lord told them to do. Did everything happen just like the Lord said? Yes, it did. Now, this is the first Passover. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's along the same lines as God telling Noah, it's going to rain. In other words, this is a new thing. Never been done like this before. God never went through a land and smote the firstborn. Just as there had never been rain before. But see, Noah believed God. And these people in this case, at the Passover, they chose to believe the word of the Lord that given to Moses, chose to believe it, and they saw that God, what God said came to pass. But it could have been done out of fear 
not out of faith. See, now that they're going into the land, it's not a matter of fear. It's a matter of faith. Do I believe God or do I not? You know, so what? If I killed a lamb and put blood on my house and it didn't happen, I'm still protected. I'm still safe, you know. But if I don't believe God, that he'll take me in the land, there's going to be consequences. After all, I have to go in there and take it. I have to exercise faith. I have to do something. I have to demonstrate that I believe God. I have to act. Your first John 5:10 says, "He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. So the children of Israel, it says they believe not. That really what you have here is a rejection of the spiritual. They, their emphasis in their life was what they could see. They lived after the flesh. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4 mentions, speaks of their, their lives Hebrews 4, verses 1, through 1 and 2 says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise be left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You know, you had some of the Israelites who believed. Moses and Aaron, Joshua and Caleb. And then you had the rest who did not. You see, the, the word that was given to them didn't profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith. Faith believes and acts without seeing the results beforehand. They could not see how, they could not vision that because God led me into the wilderness, that God, because He is good, would provide for me in the wilderness. And He could do anything. He can bring water out of a rock. He can have Moses throw a tree into a bitter water and make it sweet. He can bring man out of heaven. But see, they couldn't see. They could not quite grasp that God could do what they couldn't do. So you have a rejection of the spiritual. Secondly, you have rejection of God's assigned place. Verse 6. In the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved an everlasting change under darkness under the judgment of the great day. The word first estate means first place, their principality or their place of rule. 
It's talking about angels. This is a, this is a little difficult uh, verse to, to deal with in the scriptures, I must say. Because there's a lot of, there's differences of opinion and there's not much said about it. The word habitation is defined as dwelling place. You know, a dwelling place for the spirit, or the body, as the body is a dwelling place for the spirit. You know, we know that angels, and it says these angels which kept not, or they didn't keep their first estate. In other words, they didn't, they didn't keep their assigned place by God. You know, Hebrews 1.14 tells us that the assigned place of God for angels is that are be ministering spirits unto the heirs of salvation. They, they direct the worship in heaven, and they are to minister to God's people. You know, the, the psalmist said that, that the angel of the Lord campeth round about them that fear him. The angel of the Lord. They're, they're God's angels are ministering spirits. They minister to our needs. You know, Daniel gives us some, some, some uh, visions and understanding into the purpose of angels. But this, so they, they were assigned this place of prestige and power. They have great power in the service of God. And they forsook it. This group of angels forsook that place. So they forsook their assigned place in the plan of God. They, they, they forsook the place of honor and chose to follow Satan in his rebellion. And the indication here is that they involved themselves in sexual sin in some way. Notice again what the passage says. And the angels kept not their first estate left their own habitation, hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah, in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication. So like Sodom and Gomorrah, there seems to be some kind of sexual sin involved with these angels who forsook their assigned place. Now, uh, in Genesis chapter six, there's an interesting, uh, and again, this is this is another one of those uh, uh, another one of those places where good men disagree, and um, and it, you know the, the bottom line is, I don't I don't discuss it because to me there's not any value in it, so why bother? You know, you could split hairs over this, and what for? But Genesis 6 says, And it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, they become wives of all which they choose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were men of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, so there are some who believe that these, these angels took, became men and married. So when it talks about the sons of God, you know, there is a place in Job where the sons of God sang, the Bible talks about the sons of God sang, and, uh, and, and it's referring to angels singing around the throne of God. So, so there is a reference to the sons of God being angels. But, so some, some people believe that, that the sons of God here are angels who left their first estate in Jude and took, became men and married women of the line of Seth, 
the godly line and corrupted the human race. Now, there's a couple problems with that. New Testament says that angels neither marry nor are given in marriage. Now, however, angels can appear as men. But again, who cares? doesn't make any difference. But the point is that these angels, and of course the result here was these mighty men and a great wickedness. My personal opinion is these were demon-possessed men who there was intermarriage. I believe there was intermarriage with the godly and the ungodly, the line of Cain and the line of Seth, which resulted in this, this, the, these, uh, this great wickedness and a, this, this, this increased corruption very quickly, and, and then and God destroyed the, the world with a flood as a result of this, this corruption, which, which came upon very quickly. So, so anyway, again, my, my, my personal opinion is these demon-possessed men, uh, you know, possessed men, and they uh, intermarried, and either way, the end is the same. God destroyed them. And these angels, which forsook their assigned place, Bible says they are bound. They're reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. You know, there are some fallen angels we know as demons in the world. And they, you know, they, they are doing, they're following Satan. They, they followed him in his rebellion, as, as these did. And, and so there are some that are, that are roaming free in the world. And, and you know, there's a, there's a warfare going on in the heavens uh, that we don't see. And they can afflict people. But these particular ones are bound in everlasting chains. They're a, they're a specific group of angels. And the point is, they rejected God's assigned, approved way of, of, the, of their purpose, and God judged them. God judged them. third thing we see here is a rejection. So we have a rejection of the invisible or the spiritual. We have a rejection of God's assigned place. We have the rejection, thirdly, of God's design. Notice verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Here what we have, in, of course, in Sodom and Gomorrah, what is known about Sodom and Gomorrah is their sodomy or homosexuality. It's a rejection of God's design for man and woman. It's, of course, where the transgender movement comes from. You know, all this, all this is a rejection of the way God made me or designed me as a man or as a woman. Now, there were some underlying circumstances that helped fuel this in Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16, in verses 48 through 50, the prophet Ezekiel talks about Judah, and they were becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah, whom God delivered into captivity because of it. In Ezekiel 16, verse 48, he says, As I live, saith the Lord God, Sodom thy sister hath not done, she nor her daughters as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, 
fullness of bread and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Now, I want you to think about this. Here's, here's, here's a, an example of, you know, they're, 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 they're prideful. There's, there's abundance of bread. They have, they're, so they're very affluent. They're wealthy. And, and they have all they could eat and, uh, and plenty of idleness. You know, they don't have to work for a living. They can spend their time doing whatever they want because they got lots of wealth. And they didn't, it says they didn't help strengthen the hand of the poor, the needy. Do you remember the Levite from Mount Ephraim? His concubine ran away. And he went to get her. And he's coming back late in the day. And he, and he comes by and he, and he stays and he stops at... Uh, uh, what's, what's the city he stopped at? Anyway, it was a place in Benjamin. And they were Sodomites. And he camped in the street. And the Bible says, no man helped him. Until a stranger came in from the field. See, these were, these were people that were wealthy. Who had plenty. But they wouldn't pour that Help that poor, needy stranger. Pride, selfishness, abundance of idleness, just living for themselves to satisfy their own pleasures, and it, and it gets corrupt. They were haughty, verse 50, and committed abomination before me. That's the sodomy. Therefore I took them away as I saw good. So there's, there, you know, this, this, this is a rejection of God's design of the genders. You know, a man and a woman uh, to please each other. It's, it's a rejection of God's design purpose in procreation. And instead, we just enjoy the pleasure and forget the responsibility of obeying God and multiplying and replenish the earth. Just forget that. That's just have pleasure. You know, I read something about a year ago that I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe what I was reading. This couple enjoys the sexual union without contraceptives. And then aborts the baby. And they've done it. Four or five times. That is wicked. See, they don't want any responsibility for the fruit that God designed of the physical union in marriage. They just want the pleasure of it. So we'll just abort them. Or you can prevent them. You know, this is, this is, this is, these things go hand in hand with abundance, idleness, pride, arrogancy. And it's a rejection of what God designed man for. His purpose.
There's a couple of passages of Scripture we want to look at also. Look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, became vain in imaginations, their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affection, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of the error which is meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And it goes on. You know, This is a rejection of God's design for life. And what seems to be common with these things is abundance. Nation of Israel. They're wealthy. This is prominent there. The biggest gay pride days in the, in the world are in Israel. Now, they are God's chosen people. And they are back in the land. God will keep them in the land, I do believe. But God's going to judge them severely yet. Daniel chapter 9, verse 26 has not happened yet. He's going he's gonna to purge them. But there's abundance. You, know, you see this even in churches. Look at, look at Revelation chapter 3. Under the angel, the church of the Laodiceans. Right. These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, and here's their condition, I am rich, I am increased with goods, and I have need of nothing. Therefore, they are lukewarm. Do you like to drink warm drinks that are lukewarm? warm you see we live in a world that's become increasingly is increasingly rejecting God's design for men and women they're trying to make them the same And of course, you know, they don't have, and, and, and they don't think they have any needs. They don't need God. 
Uh, I mean, after all, we don't need a crutch to cling to. That's just what God is, you know. Pornography is big business. Swingers, there's even quote-unquote Christian swingers, so-called. You know, Jude, there's an interesting statement here, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but in verse 8, it says, Likewise, also these filthy dreamers. And that words, the two words are filthy dreamers is one Greek word. It means to be beguiled with sensual images and carried away to an impious course of conduct. No, we're not talking about irreligious people here. We're talking about certain men crept in unawares. Let me give you an illustration. This is from the ledger. It's called the ledger by Carrie McMillan. It's dated February 18th, 2011. Title is Benny Hinn sued for inappropriate relationship with Paula White. Televangelist, quote, Televangelist Benny Hinn is being sued by Lake Mary Publishing Company for having an inappropriate relationship with fellow celebrity preacher Paula White, the Orlando Sentinel reported. According to the report in Wednesday Sentinel, Strang Communications is suing Hinn over morality clause violation in a contract. The suit was filed Tuesday in a state court, circuit court, the Sentinel said. White is pastor of Without Walls International Church in Tampa and a satellite Without Walls Central Church in Lakeland. In Florida. The lawsuit alleges that Strang paid Hinn $300,000 advance for his book, quote, Blood in the Sand, unquote. That's the title of it. But in August 2010, Hinn acknowledged his inappropriate relationship with White and agreed to return the money, the Sentinel said. Strang is suing to recover the money. The CEO of Strang Communications, former Lakeland resident Steve Strang, in August, Hinn and White were photographed by National Choir emerging from a hotel room, a hotel in Rome, holding hands. Hinn's wife, Suzanne, had filed divorce a few months earlier. Hinn and White denied publicly they were anything more than friends. However, to the publisher, he admitted they had an inappropriate relationship. Now, this is, a Pente- this is two, quote-unquote, Pentecostal preachers, or charismatic preachers supposedly of the gospel. Um, White, I'm not going to read all this to take time, White is also known for her lavish lifestyle. She and her second husband, Randy White, were co-founders and co-pastors of Without Walls International Church, a megachurch that at one time was the fastest growing congregation in the country. They purchased a 9,000-seat sanctuary of the Carpenter's Home Church in 2005 and established Without Walls Central Church. The Whites divorced in 2007, and Paula White left to pursue a career as a life coach. 2009, Randy White left Without Walls International, and Paula White returned as pastor. And it was in that time period that she's seen coming out of a hotel in Rome with Biddy Hinn. However, you know, get married again. She marries a third guy, Jonathan Kane, who's a former journey rocker. And she is his fourth wife. And she's the pastor of Without Walls International Church. Sad to say, she also supposedly gave 
spiritual advice to President Trump. That's not all. It gets a little closer home. Jerry Falwell Jr. Uh, Jerry Falwell Jr., of course, was the president of Liberty University, which his father started, Jerry Falwell. And I won't read all this for sake of time, but uh, this is from um, AP News by Dana Kennedy. This is dated May 1st, 2021. Anyway, I'll read part of the quote. Falwell's tenure at the Evangelical University in Virginia ended in a series of wild scandals involving him and his wife Becky last year. Becky allegedly had an affair with a former pool boy, and I'm not going to read you the rest of the details, but that was what it was, unquote. Um, to top it off, quote, Falwell posted a photo showing himself with his pants unzipped, his arm around a woman on a yacht, holding a cup of a dark-colored liquid. Now, the pool boy claims he got drunk at times. Anyway, uh, and so he invites, he, he, he's, been, he's been dismissed from the university. But the article, the last sentence of the article, what caught my attention. Now, this is, of course, the AP writing this. A New York Post, I'm sorry. Uh, and this is what it says, quote, Liberty University is investigating Falwell's presidency for possible financial management, but does not seem to be focused on his personal conduct, unquote. Now, you'll go to some websites and they'll talk about how it's conservative Christianity. Really? But, you know, Jerry Falwell Jr. says, hey, I'm not a preacher. I've never been ordained. He went to law school to be a lawyer and a financier. And so he tried to justify his conduct because he made the university, who his father left in bad financial conditions, he made it prosperous. You know, I read this, a commentator wrote, had this um, thing, and I'll just leave you with this. In the book, Habits of Heart, he says this, quote, Robert Bella and his colleagues wrote about an interview with a young nurse named Sheila Larson, whom they described as representing many Americans' experience and views on religion. Speaking about her own faith and how it operated her life, she said, quote, I believe in God. I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith has carried me a long way. It is Sheilaism. Just my own little voice. Unquote. That is your typical American quote unquote faith. You know, it could be Lindaism or Nathanism or Mandyism. Is it your ism? Or is it Christ in you, the hope of glory? See, the children of Israel were worried about Israelism. They were worried about themselves. The angels were worried about themselves. Solomon and Gomorrah only lived for themselves. Just as Sheila here, her God is her own making, her faith is her own making. 
her own little voice that directs her life. These creep in unawares. One man said, quote, the final test of our Christianity is endurance. Some start the race, but never finish it, unquote. Mark chapter 4, verse 17, the Bible says, And these have no root in themselves, so endure for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. In Mark 13, 13, Jesus said, Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. You know, Jude says, We are preserved in Jesus Christ and called. You know, those that are truly born again, those that are preserved in Jesus Christ, they don't creep in unawares and deny the only Lord God. You see, the sad thing is, these Israelites knew the truth. They had the truth displayed for them right before their faces. They saw it day in and day out, and yet it was not mixed with faith. Those angels knew what they had. But they thought they could get something better. These people who change God's designs think they have something, a design that's better than God. What it boils down to is this. God is not good. And His Word is not true. We have to decide whether we're going to believe God, take Him at His word, and trust Him. 